Welcome to another episode of Under the Influence with me, Jazz Rai, and Dilesh Popat from Turning Point, and Tom Watson, our sound engineer and uh, technical man. I'm delighted to say we're joined by um, Surinder, otherwise known as Shin. Welcome, Shin, to Under the Influence, and, and thanks for joining us. Um, I think so, Dilesh, Dilesh knows you a bit better than what I do. and uh, so, so another another one of... Um Another success story to talk about here, to be honest. I met Shin several years ago. Um, he was referred to Turning Point by himself um, regarding support for cocaine and alcohol. He was struggling at the time. I think it was quite strange because at that time when I met you, I think he was using cocaine and drinking yeah. alcohol every single day. But yeah. you you never used to say, it was, you said, ah, it's fine, it's fine. I'm mm. only doing this because I feel like I need to, need to get some help. Yeah. But I think talking to you, your story was using cocaine for around 10, 15 years on and off, wasn't it? Yeah, but since I was 21, so I'm 46 now, so yeah. yeah. So, so, so really using from a long, long time ago, yeah. it was alcohol as well on top of that. Every time yeah, there was cocaine, there was alcohol. Yeah. I think the question is, is how did this all start? Where did the cocaine and alcohol first get involved in your life? Alcohol, I mean, uh, is a big thing in my culture, and Punjabi Sikh. Uh, so, alcohol, I mean, in my kind of community, if you don't drink, you're an outcast. It's, there's, there's something wrong with you. So, I mean, drink is, I, I can recall my first drink, I think I must have been, I mean, it wasn't a big drink, it was just a, you know, some beer, and I must have been nine or 10 years old. Started drinking, when I got to secondary school, probably 13 years old. And it wasn't really, you know, it, it was just normal. It never felt that it was bad or not supposed to do it or anything. And even the first time I remember coming home drunk and I was so scared to go in the house, I slept in my dad's car. You know, the olden days and the cars just used to open and I just slept in the car. And my dad came to go to work in the morning, he had my mum in the car and she was like, oh, look at the state of him, he's in the back of the car. And my dad, surprisingly, was just like, oh, it's all right, because, well, everyone drinks, your brothers drink, I drink, he's, you know, and that so kind of made it all okay. Well, so was it normal for him to see you in the car? Did no, you think... that was the first time I came oh. and that was the first time that actually, because I went and sat in his car, I couldn't go in the house, I can't remember why I can't get in the house, no. and I just went and lied in the car. Yeah and was just, you know, opening the door, puking out the car and whatnot, and they got in the car in the morning. And you, and I, you left and went back in the house then? No, I, I pretended I was asleep, I didn't get up. Oh, right. So I had to go all the way to, to work work. with him to the, uh, to the shop. So, yeah. and I was I was scared thinking, you know, I'm gonna get told, back, off. told off or whatever, but I mean, I don't know if my dad was proud, but I didn't get a telling off, mm. you know. I did, it wasn't what I was expecting. My mum wasn't happy with it, but... Mm. Did you feel your dad sort of, by sounds of it, not acknowledging it, sort of saying, oh, it happens all the time. Do you feel that was sort of like a key to, go on, go and have loads of fun? Yeah, 100%, I think it was because, you know, my dad, my brother doesn't drink. My dad's always like, oh, he'd be all right if he had a drink. Mm. You know, he'd be all right, it'd be normal. And, and I'm like, yeah. 
whatnot. But yeah, it, it's kind of. I think there's there's some kind of proudness in it where they think, yeah, maybe, so, yeah. So that first day from your dad sort of, yeah, sort of achievement point. Yeah. How, where did it spiral? Where did it go from there? Then it was drinking every day. Uh, out with the friends. Uh, I didn't have to worry about coming home drunk then because you know I thought, well, it's alright. It's you know it's acceptable. And then obviously then when you go go to weddings, there's way more than drink. And it, it wasn't. We weren't really beer drinkers. It was mainly just straight on the spirits. It was like you know go to a park, grab a bottle, and you know just group of lads sit around uh, drinking. So it's, it's about fourteen, fifteen. It started. Yeah. Nine years, well, nine it started. Yeah. 14, 15, it was getting drunk. 14, 15, it was, it was getting drunk. And then uh, left school. I mean, I, I did, I, I attended three secondary schools um, and never got no qualifications. Um, left there, went to college. That was, I mean, looking back at, back on it now, it was all involved with going out and drinking and having a good time that I never, you know, it, that's what it was about. I never got no, um, you know, GCSEs or NPQs yeah. or, any, or anything, so. College was about having a bit of a laugh, getting, getting drunk. Laugh, getting mean, drunk, and that's what it was. That's, uh, what, that's what I was going to say when yeah, you were, I, mean, I did a year of college and it was just, I got into the culture way. Yeah, that's it. When you said, you know, Gavin, you know, we, yeah. back in the day, um, we used to chip in for a bottle. Yeah, the lads used yeah. to chip in for a bottle. You know, yeah. you used to be at college and you chip yeah. in for a bottle. Yeah. And uh, certain times of the day, you say, right, let's chip in for a bottle. Yeah. And then we used to, as the, if anyone's listening and remembers Wilmorton College, there used to be a lake, yeah. right? And you'd gather around there, you get the bottle and have a drink there. Yeah. And by the time you're going home, you'd sober up a little. Yeah, of course you would. Right? But you know, that's the kind of mentality. I only went, I only did a year of college. Didn't, yeah. again, didn't get any qualifications yeah. and I just found work. So, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there already. Yeah. That's the introduction, though, isn't it? Because you see that as fun. Mm. Like, when you sort of meet alcohol, and, and I'm guessing, I'm, I'll ask you that question about how drugs got involved later on, but when you get introduced to alcohol, you just see it as fun. Mm. You're just going out there having fun, you're just having a laugh, and it boosts your confidence a bit, you feel a little bit better, and you feel it's part of everybody does it, so it's acceptable. When did it start to become problematic? Um, I guess the question is for both yourself, Jazz and um, Shrin. You know, I, for me to, I never thought I had a drink problem. And I think that's only because it's, drinking in my, it's not classed as a problem. It's not, it's classed as just, just normal. It's like having a normal meal or, you know, it, I've never really, you know, classed drinking as a problem. Apart from now, yeah. uh, when you say now, Shin, I mean, I think what is a time span though for you know going back just for me, uh, it was late. So I'd say when I realised about the drinking problem, probably not long, probably about three years ago, okay. where I thought, okay, Maybe. this isn't normal because I mean I knew about the drug problem. I knew it was something I was like, well, no, it's okay, I'm okay. But no, the drinking, I never, I, it, it was just a, just a norm to me. It was never that it was a problem. Is that because of the culture? Is that because, because of the culture, 100% because of the culture. 
think in terms of you being Sikh as well, did you say it was similar for you? When, when it was similar for me, yeah. Um, but having learnt about it, I, I, I do realise now that it's a progressive illness. It creeps up on you, you know, your first drink at nine, 14, and then to where you were three years ago, where yeah. it's the realisation and the acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, but I don't blame my culture. You know that that for me that's a that's that's a cop out as well. It's such a well, not culture is this. I'm not blaming the culture. What I'm trying to say is that yes, it is a problem in my culture. Yeah, yeah. that it's readily available and it's normalised, isn't it? Yeah. We kind of normalise it, and maybe that that's wrong. But you know, I grew up with four siblings. My dad was an alcoholic, but you know they were exposed to the same environment. Mm. My brothers never drank. Mm. My sisters, they probably have a glass of wine or you know, yeah. but. You know, you know. I, I, what I'm trying to say is that I can't blame my circumstances. Yeah. It's just the way my DNA or how I was and how yeah. I reacted to it. I drank, and you might agree with me here, Shin. Mm. I didn't. I didn't drink because I liked the lager. Mm-hmm. I didn't like vodka. Mm-hmm. I drank for the effect. Yeah. And and that, that's what I drank for. I just want to, especially towards the end of my day, I just want alcohol was just blocking everything. You know, and it, it became an escapism. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, it is definitely the... It was, I mean, I didn't realise, I mean, towards the end, I, I think it was when I, was, I spoke to Dilesh and I started, like, uh, keeping the bottles and keep keeping them there because they'd just go in the bin and I wouldn't know. And, I, and I'd start keeping the bottles and keeping the cans, there'd only be a few cans. And I honestly was shocked myself. I could not believe it. And I'd be like, no, no, okay, that per- that person, someone came around that day and, and I just couldn't, and I couldn't believe it. And then I'm trying to even it out and think, okay, because there's litre bottles there, there's 1.5 litre bottles, 70 CLs and halves and quarters. And I'm thinking, well, how could I have done all of this? And and, and I, I wouldn't believe it. I, you know, it was hard to take in, like, you know, no. And I'm trying to... Even it all out, okay, if there's this many bottles, you know, okay, I must have done this much a day, this much a day, it still was a lot. When did your family realise that, you know, maybe your dad who first uh, first thought, yeah, this is great, my lad's drinking, I can enjoy drinking with my lad. Mm-hmm. Right. When did your mum, your dad, your brother, who, who doesn't drink, when did they realise that, hang on, there's a problem here? They, when I started to get a lot more my... I started to get a lot erratic and um, and you know looking back on it now I realised the only time I would be like that is if either with a confrontation with the family or a thingy but if I hadn't had a drink so it'd kind of be me kind of clucking or whatever needing a drink and that, and that was me just trying to make excuses and get angry and try and leave to get a drink so I'd always be constantly doing that and and on purpose, causing an argument, and then, right, I need to go out, I need to have a drink. So that that's was, it. That sounds just like me as well. <laughs> just wanting an excuse. Excuse, yeah. So they were just excuses, excuses to go out and just... Yeah, just... And you, and you just blame drink. anything. Yeah. 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 It brings me on to a, a, a topic as well when you mention family, and I think when we talk about culture, mm. would you say there's part of enablement as well with family? Um, yeah, I mean... Towards the end, I mean, my dad would be like, "All right, don't." Then towards the end, he'd be like, "Don't drink spirits. Just drink, just drink beers and bring bring me beers." I said, "Listen, I, I can't do beers. I, you know, it's not going to do nothing for me." 
and then he, as you know, you know, he'd bring you half a day. Uh, I think it was a, a quarter or something a day, and say, right, I've that. But I'd have, I'd have a stash in my room, already. I'd have the bottle in there, and you know, he'd be, he'd be bringing a quarter home, and I, you know what, the, I was, I was living with them at the time. The excitement of him coming home, from work, with from the shop at nine o'clock, I'd be there, and I would run down. I would run down and grab the bottle, yeah. And that's a that's a topic, is it? Like enable. I don't think the um, the listeners out there will be aware. Mm. So Dad would go to work in the shop. Yeah, he'd have a shop. So he, he when he'd come back, I'd I'd say, listen, bring that. It it it. They'd be drinking the house, and I'd always find it or, you know, and and have that. I'd always have like a little supply in the bedroom as well, where I'd have. I'd have my extras, but sometimes I didn't, and then I'd be waiting for him, or you know, and just thingy. But I suppose I don't know. I think I think my family would with my dad. I think it would have been more like it's all right. It'll help him cope. It, it, it'll calm him down, and, yeah, it, and yeah. he'll be okay. Yeah, he'll be okay. But Shin, do you think that if your family understood the illness more, the oh. addiction that it's a disease? That if they understood and what Delicia just said, enabling you, if they understood what they were doing was actually going enabling you, that they would have probably understood, that maybe bringing home a half a bottle or a quarter wasn't the right thing to do. I see. There's yeah. I mean, I honestly don't think they would understand. I think they're from a totally different era generation. And I don't think they would. They would understand and I think they would I, I don't think they would and I, I honestly think my dad would still turn around and say look and I've had family members say it to me before look it's all right just have two uh, glasses of whiskey a night and have some beer and you'll be fine that's what everybody does just have that were you fine though no you no, can't that'd be the start. I had the that, same thing that'd be the start but Shane I had the yeah. same thing I had people from the Godwara yeah. the Sikh temple that used to come round this was, was the it? priests as well, the Gyanis. Yeah, yeah. They'd come around saying, Jazz, if you can't, you know, if you can't stop completely, just have two just shots. Two shots. Yeah, this is two shots before you go to bed and get to yeah. sleep. Don't bother anyone. Yeah. Two shots. Yeah, I mean, this, unless I finished that seventy yeah. cl or a liter, yeah, I wasn't content. That wasn't. Do you think your dad would be different now? Do you think he'd still do it today, after rehab, after the journey you've been through? <sighs> I think, yes, I'd say, but just because he hasn't got the understanding. That's the only reason, because he hasn't got the understanding of it. If he had the understanding, then definitely 100% no, but... So I think there's more for, more for us to do, yeah. more for us um, making families aware, more yeah. for... Because at Turning Point, we do have family and carers group, Yeah. so families can engage, families yeah. can get support, families... Um, can speak to Ellie and can speak to other people that are yeah. suffering the same. But you think for our community, Asian mm -hmm. culture, South Asian, Asian culture needs needs to do more in places like the Gurudwara, places like mosque and temple. We need to do more to, mm. to, to spread the information out. Educate, isn't Educate. it? it Educate. Is. It is. It's and raise that awareness that it is an illness and a disease and that, mm. that in the family, we just talked about it in, uh, in our previous uh, podcast, that it's a family illness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and this is all part of the illness, isn't it? 
that how, how your family members are reacting to it and how it's impacted them. It is. I mean, my mum, she doesn't, she doesn't drink. She's never touched a drink in her life. And, um, you know, she's got it in her head. I don't know where it comes from, whether it's an Indian cultural thing, giving the kids brandy, burning it on a spoon and giving it to the kids. And, and I found, you know, a Martel bottle of brandy and I was like, what's this for? She goes, oh, uh, that's for, the, for your son when he gets, when he gets ill. Oh, and I'll give it to him and I'm like, uh, obviously I knew that and I was like, you can't do that. Mm. You, know, you, you, you can't do that. But I don't know. This is a generation know, thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but she's never touched a drop in it. Yeah. You know, and she'd never give, you know, she's always told my son, don't drink, don't drink, you can't drink, you can't drink. <laughs> but yet, for some reason that, she thinks is like medicine or whatever. And it's like... Shin, you've been to rehab as well. I mean, what was your experience like? I know a lot of people are really fearful of rehab. You know, the, you know treatment, going away for 28 days or, or longer. Mm. I think it'll be, um, it was quite an experience. I think it was. Shin, I think it was Shin. When he spent rehab, I, I got a sort of phone call. I was off work and got a phone call. He wasn't supposed to go to rehab. Mm. It wasn't due. Mm. <laughs> he, he, we were still waiting on everything to happen. But I got a phone call. He's, he's going to rehab tomorrow. Mm. So I think I remember now. I remember <laughs> me as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think with with Shin, it was literally not just the process of thinking of going to rehab. Yeah. It was going, going tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> but back to that question, Jazz, what was what was your feeling? Rehab. It was. You know what? I there was nothing else left for me. Um, I was st sticking with what Dilesh was saying. At sometimes I couldn't, but most of the time I was, and I'd and I'd attend regularly, phone calls regularly. And I knew it was the last opportunity for me. I, I, I just had to do it, otherwise, you know, the only thing waiting for me was death. So going there, the drive down was scary. Uh, got there, because uh, it was COVID, so I had seven days isolation uh, in the room. So you had to spend seven days in the room. And after the seven days of not, because I did uh, detox uh, in the community where I did it at home, and after seven days, I thought, wow, I'm cured. And I thought, I can't believe this. Just in seven days, I'm, I'm cured. And honestly, I thought, I'm all right now. You know, I'm ready to go home and it's okay. And then only when we started getting into, the, you know, getting down there. Honestly, I've done a lot of things in my life. But those three months, I was at rehab and I was sober and I was clean. Honestly, was the best time of my life. Wow. It was the best time of my life. And I've never really been proud of myself, but I can, you know what? I was proud of myself and I was happy. You'd say that's the best time of your life, mm. but what was it that was so special? It was, I remember, well, first I, I was in there, and you, you become secondary after a while, after six weeks, and you're allowed to go out. And I was scared, I won't go out. And they says, you know, you're not going to go out. And I says, I don't know, I just don't feel like going out for a walk, they go, you know, I was scared, you know, I didn't want to walk past North Licence, I didn't want to walk past a pub, I didn't want to walk past a bunch of some, I didn't want to walk past a bunch of people drinking, and then I did, I went, I went to the, uh, I went to, for a walk in the park, and honestly, I've, I've never walked so proud, and I was noticing everything, and the way, it was like being 16 again, discovering everything, out, out in the open world for, for the first time, for, you know, it was just, it was like, I was, you know, you're allowed out of the house, you can come back home when you want, and it was just, 
it was that experience of just being young and 16 again and just just free but the main thing I was, I was sober and I'd never experienced that for a long time so that for me I'll never forget that feeling that, that was the, when I first went out and I went for a walk and it was I, I felt like a child and, and you, sort of, you, you sort of bring it to when you went into rehab mm. you had a lot going on as well at home yeah. so you had your two kids two kids yeah you had your parents that you're living with yeah. what was it like leaving your kids behind not seeing any of your kids and going into rehab or what was it the impact of your alcohol and your drinking on the kids as well the I mean my older son he knew my daughter he's 12 my daughter's 8 so she she just knew about, you know, the police coming in regularly, daddy going to hospital, um, fighting, daddy kicking off, you know, with mum or coming outside the house or whatever, arguing. So for her, I mean, I used to see it in her eyes when they, my kids were just disgusted every time they used to see me drink, I could see it. and. They didn't really want to stay away from me, but I could I could see there was a, a gap being created where they would spend less and less time with me because I was unpredictable. It could be one thing to another. I mean, I've, I've never hit my children. I've, I've never, never done that. Um, yeah, towards the end, it was because, I mean, I was even... I wasn't hiding it from them no more. It got to a point where I don't even know why or how I got to I wasn't just even hiding it. I mean, I'd pick the kids up from school and I'd, you know, have, I I just, you know, had a drink, used to have a drink on me and my daughter would say, oh, can I have some of that Lucas Aid? And I'd be like, no, 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 you can't have that. She goes, and she, she, no, she goes, oh, have you got vodka in there? And I was like, yeah, she's not okay. So, you know, it, it was, I mean, I can't, I don't know if, you know, yeah, it was, it was, and they were the last time when I thought, that's when it started to get really bad, I just couldn't, you know, I was getting up first thing in the morning and drinking, which, which I was, but it wasn't really hitting home, hitting home, until I started seeing it in my kids' faces, and seeing, seeing that, and them asking me questions, that's when it started, like, hold on, this isn't right. There was a point in me where it did, where I, I thought it's normal, it's okay. So, and you've sort of had your first treatment episode because it's first time you've been with Turnbull. Yeah, first time, yeah. You had your first rehab experience. Yeah. You've had to self detox at yeah, home. Yeah. How was the process of self detoxing at home as well? Did you withdraw you know symptoms? What? Uh, no, I didn't uh, have uh, withdrawals. Uh, I mean, it was hard. It was something I thought I'm not going to be able to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able Because you were saying it, it was just. I remember we had we had the chance to go to Nottingham. I think you were saying, yeah. and it was just fear. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there, and I thought, okay, let me try. We tried. I, I tried cutting down, which I did, and I did quite well on that. Um, it's because I wanted it. I, I'd hit rock bottom. I'd you know it's. I, I needed it. I had, I had no choice. So it was hard, uh, but yeah, I, I managed to do it. So. Yeah, the, the detox, it, it was hard. Uh, there were times where I did go over and drink more than I should have, but then reality hit home and I'd get back on it because I knew, you know, it was my last chance. Yeah. 
Did I, you know, when you, just twice he's mentioned fear. Yeah. You know, going into rehab, uh, being fearful of the home detox. Yeah. I never had the benefit of rehab. You know, I did it cold turkey. Um, is that is that something normal for people, the fear of going into rehab? Yeah, of course, if you wasn't fearful of going to rehab, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. You've gone from, um, she knows you talk about 20 years of drinking, 20 mm. years of cocaine use. This is a whole change of life you're looking at. We're looking at going and changing something or potentially not being able to have a drink, not having a drink ever again. And, and I think that's why I ask you, I think a lot of people think it's the being fearful of being away from your family, being in this bubble, right? Of, of you know, you've got no connection. You know, if you're there for 28 days, I know you were there for three months, so you yeah. had, you know, a bit longer. But some people just, that fear of not being able to cope with without alcohol. Yeah. It, in the life without alcohol, it's just like, for me, it was, how am I going to cope with certain yeah. things? And I think that is what rehab's really good because that's what they teach you, that you can have life. You can. I think you've just mentioned it, how am I going to cope? That fear of how am I going to cope is the biggest fear. How am I going to be able to cope without having a drink? Mm. I'm going to be able to cope without drinking, without going out with the mates. Is it going to change me? I'm not going to be normal. I'm going. You got to re be realistic as well. Is that when you say take away the alcohol, that's when life, real life issues kick in, or when yeah. life issues start again. You've got the trauma from the past, or the reason what you was escaping, or why you was drinking, start to come out. Mm. And that's when you have to deal or you have to start working with what led you to drink in the first place and looking at all them issues individually. And I, I say, in a way, it's like you look at alcohol as you've got all these problems and every time you're drinking, all you're doing is putting a blanket over the problems. And then you wake up the next morning, you've woke up with more issues mm. and then you just put another blanket over it. So forever, all you're doing is covering Creating all layers, these. aren't you? Just putting layers and layers. And that's where rehab, I think, works great because what you start to do is you strip away the alcohol mm. and you start to work with them layers. And every time you come across these issues, you're now dealing with them, you're learning new behaviours. I'm guessing you've learned a lot of new behaviours when you went to rehab, Shin. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, they opened... They say you, your brain stores a lot of stuff at the back and you just saw it away and it's, 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 it's blocked away, you're blocking it and whatnot. And I didn't, and I was like, no, no, there's, there's nothing there. And it's it's just when I started having my one-to-ones with the people and there was, there was a lot there. And I was like, nah, and, and they were like, okay, that, and I started talking to them and I, and I realized there was a lot that I was, that I was uh, blocking off. And I learned, I did learn a, a lot, and, and why why I was because it's not if I if I because I was never normal, I was never never normal. I think that's where it starts from. Grow from growing up, you kind of know something's different. There's something different about me. I'm not like normal people. All my friends would be gone home. I'd still be drinking in the morning. They'd be getting up, ringing up for breakfast, and I'd still be out. You know, I mean, I say I never. I did a uh, drink problem. I've had my license, I think, driving license, 30 years. And I've spent 15 years of that on a van. 15 years, and, and yet drinking was never a problem. You know, and it's, it's like that. But yeah, getting back to rehab, you do, you look, I learned a lot about myself and stuff that I was trying to cover up and, you know, put a blanket over. And it was, it was, it was the drink that was, that was doing that. And there were times that rehab, 
for then I don't really talk to people, so then it was hard for me to open up. And I'd start hyperventilating, okay, and I'd start hyperventilating, and I'd, and I'd, I would really need a drink, but I wouldn't tell them because I'd think I can't tell them what I need. And then I spoke to one of the volunteers, and he says, "Have you not told them?" And I says, "Yeah, I'm not really." And so then I did, and the, you know, then we talked about uh, meditation and calming, calming yourself down, and doing all that because there there were times where I was like because. In that situation, my normal thing would be to go get a drink, and I, and I'd be fine. But I, I couldn't cope with that being there. So it was, yeah, it was, it was hard. But yeah, I learned a lot about how to to cope and how to to ride that kind of uh, you know feeling. Yeah. So a lot of skills you learned. Yeah. A lot of, lot of skills yeah, during yeah. to rehab, do detail, even work with me. I think. Yeah. yeah to see you here is yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's great to see the yeah. way you can talk in this because yeah. I, I worked with you for around a year or so yeah, and yeah. don't really know all of this about yeah, you. But yeah. what what things are keeping your recovery journey successful at the moment? What's keeping? You know what? Myself, I want to achieve. I'm not. I'm not going to say. You know. I've done a lot in my life, but I've not never seen anything through. You know, whether it be businesses, education, anything, I've never work or whatever. I've never seen it through, and this, this is the most important thing I've done in my life. I just want to see this through. I, I, this is something I want to do for myself first, because then obviously for the kids, it, it's impacted the whole family, and you know then. I can have that family life. I, I can I can walk down the street and be a normal person, and that's you know that's all I want. That's all I want to achieve, just to be a normal person. That's you know that that's 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 my goal, and that, that and I'm I'm happy with that. Jin, um, you know that's that's great to hear. You know you that you just want to be, as you put it, normal. Yeah. But um, I think you are normal. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you initially contacted the Sea Recovery Network, yeah. and for a lot of people, you know, to you know, especially in our community, to yeah. pick up the phone and say, yeah. you know, I, I've got a problem is a big thing. Yeah. And how, how daunting, or how was there any fears around that for you? We are picking up the phone and saying, look, I've got a problem. Yeah, it was. It took me a long time to make the calls. Uh, I did a couple of times ring before. Uh, and then just for myself, I didn't. And it was when I got through to you, that's when I felt the connection. When I rang seat recovery and I got through to yourself and you spoke to me, you took the time, you rang back as well. And it was, but I wanted, I thought I was going to be judged or I was probably going to be given, well, just, I just thought someone was just going to say, well, just don't drink. You know, well, you know, you know, well, you, 46 and yeah. and then I thought oh embarrassing will I know this person who's it going to be you know uh, is he going to ask my family name where I live my you know mm. obviously none of that came up but that that's what you just think I was just thinking of the embarrassment for myself and probably my family if, mm. I, remember, if, if I remember correctly we were running the groups at the Gurdwara yeah. and Shin wouldn't come Shin wouldn't come because yeah, he was well known in the Gurdwara yeah. and he didn't yeah. want people to know him there. So you, you talk about being normal. This is normal. You, yeah, you, you've yeah. said, 
even before we did the, uh, this podcast and you was there at the recovery walk yeah, and yeah. I was quite con- I was conscious for you yeah, yeah. that you know Shin be mindful that this, the, yeah, the, yeah. the seat channel are going to be yeah, there yeah, yeah. there's other people you're going to yeah. but you know what he yeah. says no I, I want to be there yeah. I want to show my face that that, yeah. that, that, that shame has been lifted it, it has 100% it you has know? it has yeah because and honestly you know what now looking around I've realised there's a lot more people out there that are that are suffering with this in silence with families and you know individuals as well that are going through it and especially a lot of fa- and i think a lot of families are covering it up mm. as well thinking they can deal with it in-house and there's no way you can deal with this and how did you i know you said you find it difficult phoning us but there was obviously because i'd been through it all and there was that empathy you know, there wasn't much sympathy, I'll be honest, you know, because sympathy sometimes validates it, yeah. the drinking, but there was empathy. But then when I suggested Turning Point turning. and going to Dilesh, for some people in our community, oh, I'm not going to Turning Point, what do they, you know? But then you, you actually came to the Seat Recovery Network, yeah. we referred you to Turning Point, yeah. you know, and how did you feel about working with Dilesh and the whole process? You know what? The first thing I... <laughs> I thought, Dilesh, I thought, am I going to know him? <laughs> is he going to know me? Yeah. Oh my God, is he going to tell someone? Or what? Yeah. You know, obviously, it's a private conversation, I know any of that. But uh, no, uh, you know what? As soon as I got there, Turning Point, Dilesh, I, I was just, I was scared to walk into Turning Point because uh, in your head you have this, I don't know what I was going to walk into, I didn't know who was going to be sitting in the waiting room or whatever. But you know what? It, it was easy. It was easy and talking to Dilesh was just just brilliant. He understood me, you know, he understood me. He listened to everything I had to say. Um, didn't really advi- advise me as like, you know, not in a strict way, yeah. not in a, not undermining me or looking at me like a... Judgmental. Judgmental way, yeah. yeah. So, no, it was it was easy. And, that, and that's, what, that's what made it a lot easier for me, going back and going back. And I think being with Dilesh, I don't know if it would have worked the same as someone else. It, it maybe could have, I don't know. But working with Dilesh, it helped me a lot. Being from a similar background, maybe doing the same things or whatever, it, it, it did help a lot. You know, if there's someone else sitting at home listening to this or listening on their way to work, you know, bearing in mind the, the anxieties that you had and the nervousness and the, you know, be, you know how anxious you was to contact us, yeah. the Seat Recovery Network, and then approach Dilesh. And if someone is, is experiencing the same, what would you suggest to them? I'm not really, uh, with me, I hate mixing with new people. I'll get on with them, but I hate being thrown into a new environment and it, mm. uh, my anxiety will kick in and everything and I'll be like, oh, I don't want to. Honestly, from everywhere I've been, from Dear Albert to Turning Point to Seek Recovery, to rehab, NA, CA, AA, I've not, in, you know, in this recovery journey, I've not met people that have just been so welcoming and kind, and just, just, you know, the welcoming you get is just unreal, and you just, as soon as you walk through the door, you put ease straight away, straight away, and you just, you can relax straight away, and after that, I've honestly been fine. Sorry, everything's, Private and confidential. Yes, right. that's confidential. Just what I was yeah. say. I was just about to say that confidential. Yeah. and it is because that's what a lot of people will, especially in the Indian community, they will they will fear that, and you know, and I did in a, in a way, but no, there's 
know, everything's private and confidential. And, and, and you've chosen to do this, haven't yeah, you? You yeah, chose yeah, to come yeah, to the yeah, Seat Recovery yeah. Day That's walk, it, yeah. and uh, you know, Dilesh was there, t- Turning Point, Dear Albert, yeah. um, people from other parts of the country were there. But this has been your choice because yeah. you, you, you know, you. Yeah, first, yeah, I was, I was ashamed, and I was, but mm-hmm. now, no, I've got nothing to be, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm, I'm happy the journey I've been on, and I want other people to, you know, experience the same journey I've been on and come out the other side. And I think one of the positives as well, I think some of the things that have changed since COVID is yeah. access to treatment has now slightly become easier. Yeah, yeah. So like where the first point of call, you had to attend an assessment, you had to make a referral, yeah. and you had to wait a little while. I think yeah. referrals now can be done, can be made instantly, and yeah. um, assessments are done over the phone. Okay. And um, there's online groups now, yeah. so availability to access the um, secret recovery network groups can be all done online now. Yeah. The, the accessibility since when we first started is, is grown mm. and, and accessibility has now become easy to engage in treatment and support. So I'm guessing for yourself as well, I'm guessing you've been able to to access everything a little bit more better since you're coming out of rehab. Yeah, I have. Uh, it has been easy, accessible and whatnot. And there is, you know, loads to there. I mean, I would never have attended meetings on my own or, or whatever. I, I go to NA meetings and... And I just walk in because I know I'm, I'm going to be welcomed and I'm going to be, you know, no one's going to judge me. People, you know, just there and, and that's it. And yeah, with everything open up now, it is a lot easier. Yeah. I think um, uh, Shin just touched upon some of the people he's, he's met in recovery in the rooms, you know, in the recovery circle. And I can honestly say some of the people that I've met as well, mm. Shin, you know, I think some of the most... Uh, the most amazing blessed people and the people that have the the most inspirational people I've met in my life have been addicts. Yeah. You know, and I've learned yeah. so much yeah. from them. And you know, and in society sometimes we look down on those people when they're struggling. Yeah. But I mean I'm only sat here because, you know, my sponsor was an addict, you know, and some of the people that I first turned to, you know, when I look back at my journey, I think if it wasn't for those people that I, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, Jen, you know we're running out of time, and but there's so much to talk about. I know, but you know what what inspires you now to continue this journey and and remain in recovery. You know what? It's being in this in this recovery network, meeting the people I'm meeting, and you know, the friendships I'm gaining. Nobody wants nothing from me. Nobody wants nothing from me. Yeah, we're on where I come from people want something here it's I'm, I'm just getting it for free and for me to turn that away I've got to be an idiot so you know what and, and that's all I want that's all I want is it's you know and the love I've got from everyone it's just it's just unreal you, I, I wouldn't have expected it in a million years I didn't think people like this existed honestly and it's amazing and this is definitely going to lead on to, to part two we've, we, after this interview we've definitely got to take part two I think yeah and uh, I'd love to record with you again. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a whole other topic to touch upon with cocaine yeah. And, yeah. and that side of things. So we, we, we definitely need to do a part two. I'm looking forward to it already. Okay. Um, but I've got to throw the last question over to my great friend over there, Jazz. I think he's got one more question for you. I'm going to let you ask that question because you know that question. <laughs> you could ask it. So as the podcast is called Under the Influence, what would you say you're under the influence of today? Under the influence say being alive, being sober, being clean and you know what, just for today. 
I'm just happy just for today. That's brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Just for today. Just for today. Just, just for today. One day at a time. We need to get that tagged into the Seed Recovery Network. Yeah, um, yeah just for today. Just for today. Yeah. Well, listen, Shin, you know, you just towards the end there, you said that uh, um, you used the word an idiot. I, <laughs> you're no idiot. You're amazing. You're blessed. And, you know, it's been a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be a part of your journey and to see you grow from the moment you spoke yeah. to me and, you know, when Dillish rang me. And, and to be able to do this a year later with you has been honestly and and you know we talk about peer mentors in our previous um podcast we talk about yeah. payment and we need you know turning point the seat recovery network we need people like you you know you've you've lived the experience you've been through it you've been through rehab so you know well done and keep it up and we're, we're always yeah. here for you always you. yeah you've got my number yeah yeah so yeah thank you delish and uh, thank you shin and thank you tom for making this possible and uh, look forward to another episode soon 